Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The closing benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would take your word, your holy word, and plant it deep in our hearts by your Holy Spirit and bring about life change for the glory of our Christ. We commit this time to you. We ask that you would have your way among us. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. You may be seated. Paul's final words to the Corinthian church, the church that he planted, that he labored among, that he taught them the Word of God for a year and a half, that he visited and was very disappointed in the false teaching that had infiltrated the church, false apostles who had gained a hearing in the congregation, And there was still a minority of people in the congregation who had turned away from the Apostle Paul, had rejected his teaching, and were causing trouble in the congregation. And Paul exhorted them throughout the book of 2 Corinthians towards holiness and repentance, towards walking in his ways that he had presented the way of Christ, to be reconciled to the Apostle Paul and to be reconciled in that, reconciled to God. They had turned away from the Gospel. Paul had taught them that the power of Christ was manifested in weakness. And so it was right that he had suffered incredibly because the power of Jesus was being manifested in his life in all of his trials and tribulations and sufferings. Tim preached last Sunday on the final greetings in verse 11 through 13, and he says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. And then the final words, the closing benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. George Guthrie says that this is the most robust expression on the inner working of the Trinity in the New Testament. H.B. Charles says this is an ocean of truth in just a teaspoon of words. And I pray that today that, that we will just swim in the ocean of truth that we're going to see here as we look at the grace of King Jesus and the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. 
Kent Hughes says, Paul is not attempting to teach us the ontological distinctives of the Trinity or to parse the three persons. The triune God is simply the air Paul breathes. Really the passage, although it is the only passage like this in the New Testament, Trinitarian in form, this incredible blessing, the most famous benediction in all of the Scriptures, used throughout the world at the close of the service where the pastor gives the closing benediction, the blessing. There's none like it. The only thing comparing in the Old Testament is from Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and may He keep you. And may the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Even in that blessing, it is a triad in form. But nowhere else in the New Testament do we have in the closing blessing, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Normally at the end of Paul's letters, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Grace be with you. He opens with grace and he ends with grace. And today we are going to just revel in the grace of Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit together. Notice he says, be with you all. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all and the love of God be with you all and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What Paul is saying is, may you continually know and experience grace of Jesus, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And may His grace and love and fellowship be manifested in and through you. So may you know and experience... And may it be manifested in and through you, not just that you know and experience, but it has an effect in the way that you relate to everybody else around you. And notice also, he says, be with you all. Even the ones that had caused Paul so much trouble, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. This is Paul's closing wish. It's his desire. It's his prayer for the church. The very things that the church needs for its existence. Grace, love, and fellowship. So let's look first of all. Number one, may you continually know and experience the astonishing riches of the grace of King Jesus. And the reason I say the astonishing riches is because Paul is, is unpacking everything of what he means about grace. The manifold riches of the grace of King Jesus. And the, the reason I say King Jesus is because he says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the sovereign over all. May you continually know and experience the astonishing riches of the grace 
of King Jesus. Let's look first at the undeserved kindness of grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. The grace of King Jesus is undeserved. It is unmerited. It is an incredible kindness. And that's really what grace is, is unmerited kindness. It's God's favor shown towards those who do not deserve it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And though He was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Undeserved kindness, but also complete forgiveness. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 to 8, Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. When you think of grace, think of unmerited kindness, but also think of His forgiveness, the redemption that we have through the blood of Christ. It's His grace towards us, reconciling sinners to Himself through the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross. In Him we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Undeserved kindness, complete forgiveness, but also superabounding, all-sufficient, divine enabling power. We've seen this throughout the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Jesus is equating grace and divine enabling power right here. And Paul boasts in it, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And finally, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Superabounding, all-sufficient, divine enabling power, undeserved kindness, complete forgiveness. It's limitless, lavish, We can't even describe the greatness, the astonishing riches of the grace of King Jesus. Charles Spurgeon says this, Christ has grace without measure in Himself, but He has not retained it for Himself. As the reservoir empties into the pipe, so Christ has emptied out His grace for His people. From His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, John 1.16. He seems only to have all this in order to dispense it to us. 
He stands like a fountain, always flowing, but only running in order to supply the empty pitchers and the thirsty lips that draw near to it. Like a tree, he bears sweet fruit, not to hang on branches, but to be gathered by those who need it. Grace, whether its work be to pardon, to cleanse, to preserve, to strengthen, to enlighten, to quicken, or to restore, is ever to be had from him freely and without price. Nor is there one form of the work of grace that he has not bestowed upon his people. Spurgeon says, let us make daily use of our riches and constantly come to him as our covenant Lord, taking from him the supply of all we need with as much boldness as men take money from their own wallet. Are you astonished by the grace of King Jesus? Do you know the forgiveness that comes by the grace of King Jesus by trusting in Him? Do you know the divine enabling power that enables you to do everything that God has called you to do in His strength, not your own? Paul is saying, may you experience the grace that you need and the grace that is enough in order that you may accomplish every good thing for His glory. Do you know grace? See, some of you may be here today, you may, heard, you may have heard about Jesus, you may have heard about grace, unmerited kindness of God, but you don't know grace and you don't know Jesus. Because when you know grace and when you know King Jesus, everything changes. Sarah testified to that, that last year when she came to a personal and saving knowledge of King Jesus, everything changed. Before she was just walking and pretending, but when she came face to face and trusted Christ alone, everything in her life changes. And that's the way it could be for you if you don't know Jesus today. Everything can change today. Turn from your sin. Put your trust in Christ. Know and experience the astonishing riches of the grace of King Jesus. Number two, may you continually know and experience the extraordinary extravagance of the love of God the Father. Look at what he says. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. Now we know that whenever Paul uses the word God, he's speaking of God the Father. When he uses the word Lord, he's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God the Father. We see from the Scriptures that God's love is unmerited. It's unchangeable, it's unstoppable, it's unbreakable, it's intentional, sacrificial, affectionate. The God of heaven loving sinners like us. In, First in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God's love is even before the foundation of the world. He has set his holy affection upon his people that he has chosen to be adopted in Christ Jesus, to be the very sons of God, to be his family. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, We see in the Old Testament, verse 6, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath oath that he swore to your fathers. Do you even comprehend this? God doesn't love you because you were lovable. God doesn't love you because somehow you attracted his attention with your greatness. He set his love and affection upon you because he loves you. He chose you and he set his love on you because of his sovereign goodness alone. It's unmerited and it's unchangeable because his character is unchangeable in first John chapter 3 verse 1 John says see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called the children of God and so we are I think the NIV says see what kind of love the father has lavished upon us God's love is lavish. He's made us His children. We were rebels. We were sinners running from Him. And yet God loved us and sent His Son to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sins, to reconcile us to God, to make us His very children, making enemies children of God. And John says, and so we are. He says in chapter 4, verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And that's what Paul is saying. I want you to know and experience and and bask in the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God the Father, not, not only for you to know and experience, but for you to be a conduit of His love to others. That His love would be manifested in and through you. Do you see the consequence in verse 11? Beloved, if God so loved us, We ought also to love one another. You see, when you know and experience the love of God, 
it flows out of you into the lives of the believers around you, into others around you. It's unmerited, it's unchangeable, it's unstoppable, it's unbreakable, it's intentional and sacrificial and affectionate. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. We've been saved. Do you, do you just glory in the love of God? There's a song David Crowder sang years ago, Oh, How He Loves Me. And it seemed kind of trivial and trite and emotional and would get people kind of whipped up into a frenzy. But the reality is we should be amazed and astounded by the love of God in Christ Jesus. It should blow us away. It should move us and motivate us and change us from the inside out. It should make a difference in our lives. If we know the love of God, everything changes. Let me ask you, are are you manifesting the love of God in your life? Are you demonstrating God's love towards others? Or are you characterized by being selfish and everything is about you? Because if you know and experience the love of God, everything changes and people will know around you. And not only that, you will have incredible assurance in your life. You won't grab for anything. You're not worried about what's coming the next day. You know the love of God and you have incredible peace and security and assurance. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, No, in all these things, We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Absolute security. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Are you in Christ? Do you know the love of God? Do you have the assurance that comes from knowing the love of God, the security and the peace? But he says finally, may you continually know and experience the incredible intimacy of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says in this final part of the verse. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The word koinonia means participation, fellowship, partnership. It's used for partnership in the gospel. But what it's speaking about is communion, oneness, knowing the intimacy of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 16, we see what the Apostle Paul says about the intimacy of the Spirit and what happens in the believer's life. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. When we're united to Christ, He pours out His Holy Spirit, the Spirit indwells us, and the Spirit leads us in paths of righteousness to walk in the way of Christ. And He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And we don't fear. We cry, Abba, Father. He gives us the testimony of the Spirit inside who testifies with our spirit that we are the very children of God. And if heirs, or if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We fight sin. We put sin to death by the Spirit. Everything is different when we're walking by the Spirit. We're walking and looking more like Jesus. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, this in verse 16 but i say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh and then he says but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law and those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The intimacy of the Holy Spirit is keeping step with the Spirit. We don't gratify the desires of the flesh when we're keeping step with the Spirit, when we're walking by the Spirit, when we're experiencing the incredible intimacy of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You see, there were those in Corinth and there are those today who are living according to their own fleshly desires and Paul was calling them out. But he was saying, what I want for you is to know the grace of the Lord Jesus, to relish in the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God the Father and the intimacy of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit because when you walk by the Spirit, You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You'll put sin to death. You'll look more like our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Paul's great desire for the congregation at Corinth. And this is the Spirit's desire for the people of God right here at Bull Street Baptist. This is what we need. We need grace. For from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Do you know it? Are you amazed by grace? We say that in our mission statement, equipping people to know Christ and to tell of His amazing grace. 
And we say, if you've never been amazed by grace, you're never going to tell anybody about his amazing grace and the love of God. Are you blown away by the love of God? Many people think of the love of God as not personal, not something that you know and experience, but we know and experience the love of God by the Holy Spirit whom He has poured into our hearts. And the fellowship, we have fellowship with God by the Holy Spirit. And when we know and experience these things, everything changes. Has it changed in your life? Do you need more grace today? Ask Him. Do you need to know and to comprehend the love of God? Ask Him. Do you need deeper communion with the Holy Spirit? Ask Him today. It is the Spirit's desire. Let's pray now. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we ask for this blessing. We pray that you would bless us with these incredible things, the riches of the grace of the Lord Jesus. The incredible love of God the Father. May we know and may we comprehend it. And may we be a conduit of your love to everyone around us. And God, I pray that we would experience deeper communion, deeper intimacy with the Holy Spirit and that that would change everything in the congregation. That we would experience deeper unity and intimacy with one another as we've not only been united to Christ by the Spirit, but we've been united to one another. And you've commanded us to, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So God, give us deeper communion with the Spirit so we can have a deeper intimacy and union in the body of Christ. And Lord, we pray all of this for your honor, for your glory, for you are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.